Hey, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on when you're watching this edition of Hypnosis Week. Now, this is the first, well, first of all, I'll tell you, obviously, it's me again, Alex William Smith, better known to many of you as Jonathan Royal, the British bad boy of hypnosis of MagicalGuru.com. Uh, my guest, who you will see on the left or the right, depending on which way it decides to do it this time, uh, Mr. Stuart Harrison Cassells, I will formally introduce in a minute. Just to explain, this is the first of two... Uh, special editions this one is being recorded and will go out onto the internet on the 22nd of june 2020 that date is very important tomorrow there will be another edition the 23rd of june 2020 with uh, another expert in the field of health and safety uh, stuart gavin both of these ideally should be watched together one after the other there will be, I guarantee, conflicting opinions and views. And the reason for that is there is elements of this that are very subjective. There are elements of what we are going to discuss that um, will ultimately have to be tailored to what country in the world you are in. So if you're in America, you will need to look at the Center for, Di Center for Disease Control, CDC website for the absolute latest up-to-date guidance on COVID-19, the coronavirus. If you're in England, it's the British government's website. Generally speaking, wherever you are in the world, it's your government's website, will have a section giving the latest guidance. And guidance is... Okay, I'm going to use this word. For a lot of countries, it will be considered to be the law if it's on your government's website. Thus, it will be a legal obligation to follow it. Okay, and in many countries, it may be that this is a law that is enforceable. Just to cloud the issue in England, the chief um, the superintendent of uh, the Met Police uh, has gone on record and said it is wholly unenforceable, the COVID laws in England, because of the way they were brought in. It wasn't done right. Uh, plus, there's the element that COVID-19 coronavirus as a virus has never actually been officially classified or proven to exist. I'm not talking conspiracy theories here. I'm talking, medically speaking, legal definition. It's not been uh, properly um classified and all this that the other because of that in england it's been deemed uh from everything i've seen and i know the police uh, have come out and said they can't enforce most of the uh, laws that are just down to being coronavirus covid19 laws as they were that are now nothing more than guidance really and that's where their morals and ethics and common sense come into play something that only you personally can a, be responsible for, and B, live with yourself with, choose what direction you take it in, based on your own honest beliefs, opinions about the whole situation. Well, all that should be based on your own research from numerous different uh, outlets, um, including, because of the legal implications, obviously your own locations, governmental website uh laws as stated or guidance advice depending on how it's being termed in your country neither of us today neither of us tomorrow are in any way qualified lawyers neither of us are uh in any way shape or form saying you should 
or shouldn't do anything that we are going to discuss between ourselves as a purely hypothetical conversation. Um, I'm stating that to cover us legally, but also to emphasize that you should seek legal advice. If you are a therapist, a uh, hypnotherapist watching this, one would assume that you are a member of some sort of professional body. I normally say they're not worth a wank, and generally speaking, that's true. But this is a situation where if they say they offer advice, we'll get something in black and white writing off them. So you, that will give you a layer of protection. We'll talk about things like that later. Entertainers in England, uh, stage hypnotist, I would expect, magicians, mentalists. Hopefully you'll be a member of British Actors Equity. Although I can say right off the bat, I've been on one of their Zoom calls for magicians with COVID advice. And frankly, um, you could have found out the same information by going on the British government's website, sadly. Um, it was about as much use as a chocolate fire guard. No disrespect to the people from Equity, they're trying to help. But, you know, if you want to know, oh, one final thing, there are there's a couple of people who have brought out uh, David Knight's brought out a little ebook on, you know, how magicians and hypnotists can do COVID compliant shows. And no disrespect to um, Devin, but the simple fact is I have read it and there's nothing in there that you can't get off your governmental websites in terms of the guidance or laws or the distancing stuff uh, with adding a little bit of common sense. And then from the hypnotic or mentalism point of view, well, there's nothing that isn't common sense or sadly common sense isn't that common in other words um also there's a webinar taking place later this week with richard barker and michael mesmer um i don't know michael's background fully i've looked on the internet i can't see anything to indicate that he has a background other than as a stage hypnotist magician and mentalist now that's important because what i'm bringing you today and tomorrow are two individuals who whilst today's guest stuart harrison Cassells, has a background as a magical performer a mentalism performer uh, a stage hypnotist and also works as a hypnotherapist okay uh and tomorrow's guest stuart gavin um works as a hypnotherapist He's also a martial arts instructor and he also has done public demonstrations of the power of the mind. He's not a stage hypnotist, but it may as well be, but it's it's totally different way. It's mad. But the considerations regarding COVID-19 coronavirus are the same. What both Stuart tomorrow and Stuart today Stuart Harrison Cassells today, Stuart Gavin tomorrow. It's just a coincidence, the both Stuarts um, have in common is they both have an extensive background in health and safety. What I bring to the table is, and I do again say I have no conventional uh, legal qualifications, so you must get your own um, clarified legal advice or proceed at your own risk. But I have been involved as a lay litigant advisor, Mackenzie's friend, to numerous people over the years in high court cases, crown court cases, magistrates courts in England, 
but of a civil and criminal nature, uh, involve, also including things that are relevant to this whole situation, namely um, whether or not the hypnotist was liable for someone's alleged injury claim or not. So hopefully bringing more to the table with my guests than anyone has so far. Uh, you're not going to agree entirely with what we're saying, no doubt. I know for a fact there will be things tomorrow that Stuart Gavin will go into that Stuart Cassells I'm about to introduce you to will probably just, there'll be elements of disagreement because people have different ways. Ultimately, you have to take this knowledge and go away and decide what fits best to the guidance and or laws in your country. Again, I refer you to, in America, the Centre for Disease Control, CDC website. In England, the British government, around the world, generally speaking, it will be your government's website will have a section with the latest, and that's the key, the latest. It's changing day by day. As I interview Stuart today, Stuart Harrison Cassells, on the 27th of June, in England, social distancing is two metres, which is 6.56 foot precisely. However, this evening there is an announcement being made which is being tipped off as being that they're reducing that to one metre like a lot of other places in the world, which is just 3.28 foot. I'm reliably informed that this evening that is being announced. I don't know when it will come in, but assuming it does, that will mean tomorrow when I speak to Stuart Gavin, the goalposts will have changed slightly. So it's a, a prime example. Things are changing day by day day. Um, the reason I'm waffling on a bit before I introduce you to it is because there's a couple of things I want to clarify and put out there. Another one I want to clarify and put out there is that look, and you can do Google searches on this, this is stuff that some of what I'm going to say sounds a bit conspiracy theory, it's not. I'm only mentioning stuff that is fact. You can go and find for yourself on the relevant websites. In this case, the relevant websites um, World Health Organization, uh, Center for Disease Control in particular. If you type in those and you put, what is the advice on wearing masks? You will see that in March, and they've not really changed their position, they categorically said that there is no benefit. Their words, not mine, remember, there is no benefit to wearing a mask for the general public out and about. Now, in England, for example, we are told you've got to wear a mask if you go on public transport, for example. However, there are loopholes, exceptions to that, call it what you will. If you can argue that it causes you high anxiety um, or distress, then for mental health reasons, you may remove it. If you... I uh, can say that you are traveling with somebody who lip reads, which ironically, most of the time I do and is provable. So if someone was traveling with me, they could legitimately remove it because I need to be able to see their lips uh, moving. That's the latest as of, I think it was yesterday, updates to the government. Uh, that's what I mean. This stuff changes daily. That's something else you've got to bear in mind. That said... I am going to advise you later on when we get into that part of the discussion to wear a mask 
uh, but for reasons we'll go into. The truth is, it is of no benefit whatsoever. If you do, I'm no expert, but do a Google search on how far can a sneeze travel? And you will see there were studies done that the invisible droplet, so to speak, can go something ridiculous like 26 foot. So one meter, which is three foot, or two meters, six foot, social distancing is completely pointless. When you uh, totally add into that, the if you do a search, what benefit is the normal type of mask? I'm not about the totally medical ones, but total normal masks that the vast majority of the general public are buying. Uh, what use are they in terms of stopping the spread of stuff? And generally speaking, you will see the vast majority of experts uh, telling you it's like trying to stop a pea going through a chain link fence. Put those two together and they are completely pointless, which is probably why the World Health Organization uh, back in March advised it's pretty pointless. Plus, there is the fact there is evidence galore out there that... They cut down your oxygen supply. So for people with emphysema, breathing difficulties, it's not a good idea to be wearing a mask a, a lot of the time. And there are other, there's evidence out there it can cause other medical issues wearing a mask too long. These are all things you want to research yourself. We're definitely not taking any responsibility. Uh, you've got to come to your own conclusions, those that sit right with you personally as a human being, those that sit with you morally and ethically. And, of course, those that tie in with your individual countries, locations, laws. Remember, there's a difference between guidance and laws. Laws can be enforced with action through the courts um, and police system. Guidance, they want you to do it. But if you don't, they can't take you to court. They can't arrest you. There's a difference. Um, and what were considered originally or portrayed as being laws in England, a lot of them uh, are now more being seen as guidance because of the fact of uh, police authorities coming out and saying basically <laughs> they're unenforceable uh, because of the way it was put together. So with all those, with all that background, tomorrow I will not go into this depth. Tomorrow I will say at the beginning of the interview, please before you watch. The interview on the 23rd of June with Stuart Gavin. Please watch in full the interview with Stuart Harrison Casals for two reasons. A, because they go together and B, because at the begin, beginning of yesterday's, namely this one, I give you the whole disclaimers, coverage and things that you've got to consider. So with all that in place, my final thing to say is that as well as COVID-19 and coronavirus, that I'm... Sadly, unfortunately, do believe there will be times in the future when this advice will become uh, relevant again. I'm sure there will come a time when it will stop and we'll get back to normal or as near to as possible rather than this so-called brainwashed new normal. But in the future, this is likely to happen again. I'm not going to get into the whole fact that pandemics and all that, but just pure law of probability, whether it's two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years down the line, something like this will happen again. And this type of thinking, that's more what these couple of days were about, 
things to make you aware of, things for you to investigate and put into place. Uh, whether you want to think that's for your own safety from a health point of view or your own safety from a legal repercussions point of view, in truth, there's elements of both. So after that longer than normal introduction, but I hope you understand why, viewers and listeners, um, remembering that everything said over the next two days with Stuart Harrison Sales, myself and Stuart Gavin is purely conjecture to a large degree. Some elements will be undeniable fact, such as the fact says wherever you are in the world, with the odd exception of certain strange places that don't really have hardly any laws, but generally speaking, pretty much everywhere in the world, you do have, whether doing it as a hobby or as paid employment, you do have a legal duty of care to anyone that is coming to you as a therapy client or stepping foot onto the stage or indeed is in the audience of any stage hypnosis show, mentalism show, or magic show that you may do. And uh, part of that duty of care is to ensure that to the best of your knowledge, belief and capabilities, reasonable capabilities, um, that things are as safe as they can be. And from a legal standpoint, the word safe would be considered to be that which any sane, rational, adult individual with a functioning brain cell or two would put into place to stop someone getting hurt physically, emotionally or in any other manner or would put into place um, or check wasn't likely to happen. But it's the removal of risk or uh, prevention combination thereof. I stress these points because one other consideration is that when you see things written down on certain advice websites, if you go looking, remember that generally speaking, when it's to do with things that are guidance or law, they are not written in normal English. They may appear to be written in normal English, but they are actually generally written in legalese, which is there's a separate dictionary for it, Black's Law Book, Law Dictionary rather. Uh, the words seem the same, the sentence structure can seem the same, but the actual legal definition and meaning can be very different to that that it would be if you read it in the manner of how you were taught English at school. That's how lawyers make money. That's another reason why we say seek your own legal advice and clarification. So with that final cavert warning thing for you to pay attention to and think, we finally, thank God, get to introduce our guest uh, to the show, Stuart Harrison Sells. Good day, sir. Hello. Thanks very much. Can you briefly, uh, I have told them that you've got a health and safety background and you've done all the performing yeah. and that. Um, but in terms of risk, um, I mean, the kind of events that you were involved with, we're talking about having to analyse risk on things that could potentially be highly explosive and cause major devastation, aren't we? Oh, God. Uh, yes. Um, 
yeah, I used to work on potentially lethal events, outdoor events for the public. Uh, probably some of the most dangerous events within the UK at times, or potentially dangerous. They weren't the most dangerous because we had good risk management exactly. in place. And I can actually say that I'm very proud of the fact that in my time working for the events company I did, that uh, we didn't have a incident that was reportable under Riddle or anything such like. And we actually had a very, very good health and safety record. Uh, probably one of the best for similar style and size events, if not the best. I worked for a outdoor events company that ran hot air balloon festivals. So we had a number of hot air balloons on site. We had 20,000 or up to 20,000 people on site in different parks, uh, race courses and so on around the country. We had huge containers with Caligas LPG, the fuel that we used to uh, run hot air balloons. Uh, hot air balloons may look very light and airy and not that dangerous. But let me tell you that the cloth of a single balloon can weigh over a tonne. You can have winds coming in that can be funneled in between trees that can be reaching suddenly 20 miles an hour. And when you've got a maybe 30, 40 meter piece of fabric that weighs over a tonne that's being hit by 20 meters of fabric and that's all being tied down by ropes to several Land Rovers, accidents can happen if you're not ready for them, if you're not prepared. Uh, Furthermore, uh, not many people realise, but Caligas LPG is heavier than air, so it sinks and it sits in, dips in the ground. So Emily that was to be walking through the arena where we had the hot air balloons and had, a, for instance, a lit cigarette, could drop it down to put it out, as you would in a normal park, and could end up igniting a pool of LPG. Immediately you can imagine the consequences of that. Any balloon that would be uh, broken away from its tethers, if it wasn't being in complete control at the time, could go through a crowd, cause devastation, it could cause damage to property, and so on. People, potentially lethal events. Um, it, it's got to be said that they were uh, exciting events to work on at times so in the yeah, grand scheme fun. of things and and let me clarify this viewers and listeners in the grand scheme of things are the probability potential of a potentially fatal occurrence at those events was arguably based on the figures that have most recently been put out by the world health organization and also uh, in britain the british government the proper figures given that we consider that, generally speaking, those events were more dangerous than COVID coronaviruses to people generally, but more certainly more riskful events than coronavirus COVID is, according to all the data and stats, to anyone under the age of 60. Um, potentially, if 
risk management wasn't in place. Exactly. Yeah, but then had, we come to risk I mean, obviously, with the figures that we had, those attending, to those attending, and not having any a single uh, accident or a death on site, then you know our events were safer. But without that risk management, almost definitely, yes, there would have been. I'm just stressing for the viewers and listeners that risk management, which is what I'm going to shut up quite a lot for people going, thank God for that. But we're coming up. I'm just going to be posing questions and getting opinions generally. Um, Is why it's so important. But more importantly, it's not just forget the coronavirus COVID-19 for a minute. Although that's why we're doing this. I'm going to make a statement now that's going to upset a lot of hypnotherapists, a lot of stage hypnotists, a lot of magicians and a lot of mentalists who are all the target markets for this. And that is that the vast majority of you haven't got a fucking clue about health and safety uh, obligations, laws and responsibilities. And most of you haven't got a fucking clue about duty of care obligations and laws and the related laws around those two. Uh, the number of magicians, mentalists, stage hypnotists and or hypnotherapists that I know who weren't taught by me, OK, who actually do have proper written risk assessments and do venue specific or client specific for therapy, risk management and risk assessments. Uh, you can count on the hands of someone who's had a nasty accident with a chainsaw. The vast majority of people do not teach this. Uh, even if they do, most people don't pay enough attention to it. And you know the irony of it is, forget coronavirus, COVID-19. You're legally obliged um, under duty of care to have these things in place. Now, I'll let Stuart explain where the argument is regarding performers and the legal obligations about the number of people on stage and stuff. But look, we're going to start off with we'll come to you performers mentalists magicians hypnotists in a bit although all of this is relevant to you can i I just cut it right now and say that no matter what the laws are in any country and the law in the uk does say that if you work with x amount of people and again go and do your own research i am not going to turn around and tell you what the figures are um, and I actually encourage, I want people to leave here and go, I'm going to spend an hour, two hours or half a day or a full day doing their own research. Because the more they research everything themselves, the more they will realise what they have to put in place. Yeah. It doesn't matter whether you're working with one person as a hypnotherapist, whether you're working with 100 people as a hypnotherapist in group hypnotherapy sessions in a room and whether or not that is classed as working with people because they are not your employees but you are working with them or whether you're doing a stage hypnosis show best practice no matter what is that you should have a written account of the hazards the risks and what you are doing to minimize those hazards and those risks so that everybody involved in your business, whether they are an employee, yourself, or a visitor to your business, whether that's a guest on stage, whether that's somebody sat in your therapy room, it is best practice to have a written account and keep that account updated. And I would certainly encourage everybody that's watching today to start that written account today. 
And there are venues, I mean, this is more for the performers, but there are certain bookers and venues that, and certain hotel chains uh, in England and around the world, obviously different stuff in different worlds, that will only book acts. And this tends to be the higher earning you are, uh, the more likely this is you'll encounter that will only book for corporate events and stuff. If you can provide a full detailed uh, risk assessment and safety management guide. It will actually get you more work as well. Um, so we're going to start with hypnotherapists because there's really? less considerations for hypnotherapists than there is for magicians, mentalists and stage hypnotists. Uh, you'd say that. Uh, yeah, I'm just starting to write down a few notes whilst you've been talking on things that you've already brought up. And yeah, I think my opinion is this and it yeah. takes 90 seconds. This is uh, pretty much having had a, a brief conversation I'm, with Stuart Gavin. We're speaking to tomorrow. I'm probably so gonna... hypnotherapy. Simple fact. Whilst there are people who started seeing clients in their offices again, um, as of the 20, it's the 20, 22nd of June. Remember, things change day by day. Um, 22nd of June, 2020. But at this moment in time, my advice, hypnotherapy-wise, personally, would be do not see people uh, physically, face-to-face. -face. Do not have them coming to you. Why bother when you can treat them via Zoom, online, with equally effective results, just so long as your marketing, advertising, publicity and promotion frames everything so they believe that it will be just as effective for them, which it will be as if they were in the room with you. And that way you are cutting out practically all risk, with the exception of obviously things like making sure that the client at home is sat in or lay down but still able to hear and see you uh, in a chair that has got arms on it and they are positioned such that they can't suddenly fall out of the chair and injure themselves and that there is a backup plan laid out at the start of the session that if they lose the internet they will uh, you know after not hearing your voice for say two minutes naturally come out of trance and you know reconnect or phone up or you've already got a number in advance simple answer don't see them in person that is the best way of minimizing the risk um well minimizing uh, you're eliminating uh the risk due to COVID well, you're eliminating the covid risk aren't yeah you? yeah i mean let's let's try and concentrate on that at the yes. moment because you're eliminating the covid risk yeah um no i think it would be irresponsible of me not to bring up um issues regarding covid19 and hypnotherapists that still choose to see clients for whatever reason face to face mm -hmm. whether or not they don't have the opportunity to see clients via the internet there are going to be some clients that they're not going to be able to see online uh some people don't have the internet in fairness the older generation yeah, yeah. uh i know several people who do not have you know the technology or the knowledge to use the technology uh so we're at that situation we've got those people that can't maybe afford at the moment due to being out of work to actually have uh internet access right now or may for whatever reason have had to sell pawn equipment so they don't have their mobile phone their tablet etc so we we really should cover 
just to be fair to everybody. But like you say, yeah, the, the easiest way to eliminate risk or hazards regarding COVID-19 for hypnotherapists is see them over the, online, over the internet, via Skype, Zoom, etc. And that is 100% correct. And I was going to say that earlier. Um, I'm sorry, I'm, but we're agreeing on the first thing, at least. Oh, yeah. um, however, let's, let's just, you know, discuss what happens when. You certainly should be putting, if you are seeing people at your place of business, at your home, and I certainly wouldn't be bringing anybody that's got a business that's running from home right now, that's a hypnotherapist, should not be seeing. Certainly in the UK, the law is quite clear, the guidance is quite clear, and certainly other places around the world, you shouldn't be seeing people at home. So if your office is at home, you shouldn't be having guests, clients coming to because see you. Because they're them. not going to be part of your, as it is in well, England, socially allowed bubble. Yeah. No. Uh, but let's say you've got your own therapy room that is separate to your home premises. You should be looking at um, how surfaces are being disinfected, what surfaces are there, the sorts of things that are lying around. Do you have lots of ornaments and soft furnishings? And again, I'm not going to tell you how, uh, what the risks are of soft furnishings against high, uh, hard surfaces, but do you need them? Do you need ornaments lying around? What about ventilation in the room? What about... Um, having hand sanitizer and the positioning, most importantly, of hand sanitizer and signage to remind people to use that hand sanitizer. It's all very well having a bottle sat somewhere. It's guidance. Telling people to use it. England-wide, it's guidance, um, although it could be argued that because they've guided it, um, if your government, what we said before about laws and guidance, two different things, but there's also the consideration that, generally speaking, if the government is given something as guidance, even if it's not a law, the chances are your insurance company will consider that if you are not following the guidance of the government, that your insurance policy will be invalid if somebody made a claim. And I know that in England, some of the guidance to things like beauty industry, we were not generally allowed, you know, hairdressers and stuff in England aren't allow back at the moment okay um i think the only reason my hypnotherapist can kind of get away with it is because they can at the moment you 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 could keep two meters apart or if it changes tomorrow a meter apart from the client uh because there is ways of doing a hypnotherapy session without having to touch the client or lift their arm or go near them exactly uh physical contact is absolutely a no-no or it should be uh, noted in your risk assessment and your management plan that there'll be absolutely no physical contact between yourself and the client. Now, that obviously is going to, and again, for stage hypnotist, it's going to eliminate certain inductions that you'll be able to use. Mm. You are not going to be able to use things like a drop back induction, uh, which I know that you've used for many years on stage where you know, we are talking about touching mm. your finger to the forehead yeah. of my favorite induction now is uh, robert temple seesaw which i bought the rights to and as soon as things go back to normal i will go back to that because it's the best induction most reliable yeah. i've ever used in my 30-year career uh however at this moment it 
it would mean touching people. And, and it would also mean getting close enough to them that the social distancing would be broken element and therefore it cannot be used. Um, and arguably, I think, I think we should be looking more at rather than what we're at today, we should be looking at risk assessment for now and the future. Well, yeah. And best practice for this point forward so that you know, people watching today can refer back to it maybe in three months. We don't know where we're going to be in three months. Well, that's obviously. why we said it's changing every day and you're going to yeah. check local guidance because the um, moment the British government, or but you've also got this implication as well. You've also, if you're a performer like me, yes, it's fine. In England at the moment, it's two metres, the social distance gap. So what I just said applies. But tomorrow it may well be changing to one metre. But if I get a booking and go overseas to do that show their rules could be different so you need to be looking at what the rules and guidance is for the place that you're going to be doing your activity and again the two meter one meter let's use that as an example uh let's say for instance we've got children's entertainer working in at a garden party and the law has changed from two meters to one meter just because the law says that you can now get within one metre of another person doesn't mean that that children's entertainer has to do that. Mm. They can choose to remain two metres away because they feel that that is still best practice. Because it suits what they do, because it suits their act. You know, just because the guidance says you are now allowed within one metre doesn't mean that you necessarily have to do that. You can choose to stay further away and increase the safety of yourself, your client, uh, everybody else that is involved in your business, so that risk is reduced even more. And I know you mentioned, I'm just going to say about this. Just say, because that's increase the safety uh, by you being more distant, yeah. as long as you've done your safety management and risk assessment correctly for all other elements of, of your performance because and this is something we're going to get into because we'll, we'll go, in a minute we need to structure this let's cover therapist and then do stage yep. performers okay. and the reason for that being is this example stage performers the further away you are from the volunteer the more chance there is of accidents so there's things that having to abide by social distancing need to be put into place that weren't previously as much of an issue. Example one I'm going to throw up right now is that generally speaking, most stage hypnotists would have, say, it's different in different countries. Americans, sorry, no offence to you, but you've always been idiots in one regard. The idea of having 20 or 30 chairs on stage and 20 or 30 people is actually, frankly, ridiculous and you are increasing your risk level immensely i don't mean covid wise i just mean potential accident wise which is probably no 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 surprise that there's been more per capita pro rata basis uh insurance claims against stage hypnotist in america than there are pretty much anywhere else in the world having had that rant uh which is something that's covered on the transparency template and I'm sorry, American hypnotist, if you don't like it, there's absolutely no reason to ever have more than 12 people on stage for a stage hypnosis show, other than at the beginning, if you're weeding them out to get your best subjects. But 
Pro-wise, 12 maximum. Unfortunately, current situation, that may well not be possible, as we'll come to shortly. But what they would generally be is sat in a row in chairs. So they can feel themselves sat next to somebody else. So as they're moving, that's a suggestion to them to become more animated and stuff. Can't do that now. You're going to have to have the chair separated, depending on where you are, by a metre or two metres in all directions. And therefore, whereas before the person next to them was stopping them falling sideways out of the chair and at the ends, both ends, you would have maybe another chair. So its back was at the end, like bookends to stop the person at the end from falling out for safety. You can't do that. So now goes against everything I've ever taught people in the past about that's the suggestion the person next to them. Now you want to be using chairs with arms on so the person can't fall left or right. That's one example. Yeah, that's one example. Uh, obviously, the those stage hypnotists that have been using the taller stools in the past that we've seen evidence of, and um, we won't mention names of who those people are, uh, but those stools that are maybe three foot up in the air, yep, that's a complete no-no for, I'd imagine, it should be a no-no anyhow. Sure. Um, but, yeah. That's completely not going to happen if you've got socially distanced volunteers. Personally, my view is that at the moment it is not. Um, you cannot eliminate all risks, including COVID-19 risks. You cannot eliminate all the hazards and risks associated right now for stage hypnosis demonstrations and performances. And I think that at this moment it is... Well, in the UK, we're, we haven't got venues open and I think it's going to be a while before we do. But that's my opinion. Um, but I think that worldwide, I think that anybody that goes out there and goes, I need to earn money and my livelihood is more important than the safety of my volunteers. I think we all know where I'm going on that. I'm not going to, uh, you know, that's my own personal opinion, though. That's I think that. Yeah, there are other things that people could be doing and should be doing rather than putting people's lives at risk. Well, much to, we'll, 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 we'll agree to disagree on that point, because frankly, uh, the figures show this is not really any worse than normal flu. And the high risk people are over the age of 60, which frankly, that's, I wouldn't generally speaking, I, I would not want an over 60 year old on stage. That's stereotyping because some 60 year olds are young and sprightly and can be entertaining, but generally speaking, the older they get, the less suitable they are for a comedy stage hypnosis show. Or, That's or, not the reason me to be here and discuss. I'm here for health and safety, not anything. I know, I know. I'm just you putting know, in the, other considerations for people. Look, so, like, look, hypnotherapist, let's stick totally on hypnotherapist a second. Yep. They are going to have people there. We've said the best way, simple answer, Zoom. And if you don't know how to use Zoom effectively... Uh, this isn't a sales pitch, but I have a complete course that teaches how to use Zoom. Numerous other people do. I'll just go and do some research. There's free training videos galore on YouTube that will teach you how to use Zoom. It's not about getting money off you. But that's your best solution. Otherwise, things like you mentioned hand sanitizer. Well, I know that on the guidance in England, there is guidance that that should be made available. And it should be one of those standalone units or tricks to the wall where they don't have to touch anything it senses and yep. dispenses um or a foot pedal 
Yeah, or a foot pedal. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, nothing that you're going to be using your hands for because you're then cross-contaminating the unit at the same time. Um, but yes, uh, I mean, the word guidance, I think it should be compulsory for every business to have hand sanitizer at the entrance of their business right now. That is my opinion, but I think it is the best way to start eliminating what we're going through right now. I think that it's the safest thing to be doing, because if you can at least stop people bringing in some of the contamination, you are reducing the risk. You are lowering that risk and therefore putting people in a safer position. So hand sanitizer, I think is a must. Signage to go along with the hand sanitizer saying that if you want to visit this building, you must use hand sanitizer. I think that is essential for every hypnotherapist. I would go as far as to say that hypnotherapy businesses that are open, uh, therapy rooms, should be looking at having deliveries made to another venue, whether that's at home, whether that's to a drop-off point, and there are plenty of drop-off points for parcels right now, um, so that you're not having excessive people visiting your business that are unnecessary, that are then increasing the hazard and the risk. You've got to be looking at having enough masks for yourself and the client. If the client doesn't turn up with a mask, how are you going to deal with that? Which sort of masks are you going to be using? Are you going to be using the disposable wear once mask? Or are you going to be using a reusable one that can be washed at 60 degrees that allegedly will destroy any virus well, for the therapist i would i would suggest the rewashable one and having uh, several of them uh because then you can also get them custom printed up for yourself well, that's yep. more probably for the stage side and obviously for emergency ones for for the clients in therapy uh disposable ones because it's best practice yep. to dispose of and not reuse on uh, again we've then got to start discussing how you're going to dispose of them and the best practice for that and again you know this should all be considered it should be written down but the thing that it's all very well going through all the stages of identifying a risk working out what you're going to be doing how you're going to reduce that risk and writing all this down but if you don't put it into practice it's not worth your time it's not going to save a life and more importantly reviewing the documents on a regular basis as you've mentioned the British government right now are going through and they are reviewing everything on a daily basis mm -hmm. World Health Organization are doing the same the American and Australian governments etc all around the world everybody's doing everything on a daily basis and I would suggest that one very important thing right now for risk management regarding COVID-19 is that things are reviewed on a very regular basis, almost, you know, if need be, a client-by-client -client basis, as well as on a daily basis for your business as a whole. And that's extremely important. I suppose, really, the first thing we really should talk about, though, is 
how to identify what a hazard is and what to do about it, how to create your risk assessment. Well, yeah, uh, in a minute, we'll, we'll get to that because obviously that's going to apply. Well, when I say in a minute, we'll get to that, I think, as the final thing. Okay. Because yeah. that's relevant to anyone in any industry. Yeah. Identifying of risk and risk assessment that is relevant, whoever. At the minute we're on therapists, then we'll go stage performers yeah. and then that. So therapist-wise, another thing that occurs to me that I've not seen that many people moot is that there's an oxymoron juxtaposition here with therapy. Client confidentiality means that you're supposed to be able to protect and you're supposed to keep quiet who your clients are unless they've given you express permission to disclose such information. And I would suggest in the current climate that you get as part of your questionnaire to the clients, which you send to them digitally in advance, they're sending it to you digitally. If it's on Zoom, this is irrelevant. But if they're going to come and see you, you've got it back. Um, on there, I would add in a bit where they are aware that the session's going to be filmed. Well, that would be in any way with the way I teach, because it covers you for false allegations of other things. You can prove that you've done everything safely and appropriately. But I would also get them for, uh, some sort of sentence that in the event, for any reason, that you as the therapist um, should... Um, you know, be asked to disclose who you've been in contact with. In England, they're calling it track and trace. Um, that you have their permission to give out their details to the track and trace authorities. Because in theory, it could be fine on that morning when you see that client that comes in your office and you could be fine um or at least believe you are genuinely believe you are but you could potentially highly unlikely based on the figures that are out there and even if you had picked it up asymptomatic people are according to the evidence highly unlikely according to the world health organization using their words highly unlikely to pass it on to somebody else but highly unlikely is not impossible so there is a potential for you to have picked up something, not be aware of it, and to pass it on. And then later to suddenly, you know, become aware of it and become ill. And in the track and trace situation, I'm being asked, who have you come into contact with? And if you didn't have permission in advance from the client, that would be a very awkward juxtaposition in law. Um because of client confidentiality. I believe it would be trumped by the uh, health obligations. However, why have that moral or ethical internal turmoil or potential issues uh, just simply add a sentence where in that context permission has been granted? I would take it one stage further personally. Mm -hmm. and um, I would insist as part of the terms and conditions of treatment that the should the client develop symptoms within a fortnight or three weeks we know that the um incubation period of covid19 is supposed to leave 14 days again i'm not a doctor i'm not a scientist you just what they're saying uh, 
but I would insist, and I would go for three weeks rather than two on this, so that you've got that extra week, few days either side, uh, to cover you. But I would insist that they contact you and inform you as part of the treatment agreement, so that you are then aware that there may have there may be the potential of an additional risk to your business, to your own health, and to other clients that you've seen in the meantime. Yes. Yes. Now, what you do with that information, I am not go- That is not my position to get into. That's down to there's there's all sorts that you then have to consider legally and ethically. Um, and really any information, any advice I gave right now, I'm potentially leaving myself wide open to all sorts of issues on that basis. Very mind what I said before, and informed consent is the key phrase to be searching for on Google. Informed consent and also data protection and general data protection registrar GDPR laws or the equivalent in your country are also other considerations to look into. You are you are literally it's one of these where both sides of the coin have positives and negatives, both regards to the health and safety of yourself and clients, but also regarding the safety of your business regarding the law. If you don't declare that you've had a client you may be putting your business at risk. If you do declare that you've had a client who is subsequently been um, infected or had the possibly had the infection at the time, again, you could be putting your business at risk through GDPR laws, etc. This is a very big minefield, but again, it's down to the paperwork and how you word it and getting clients to agree to that. Client doesn't agree personally. I wouldn't see them. Yeah. Uh, because basically, I'm, I wouldn't. I'm still not seeing clients face to face, and I won't be for some time. I don't see the point. Uh, but let's discuss it as if we're getting clients into the room. Yeah. Um, and again, clients wearing masks. We've got to discuss, you know, the rules and regulations and whether or not clients should be wearing masks within the therapy room. Well, in an ideal world, to record yourself, say yes. However, with therapists, there is, as we pointed out before, especially if somebody had anxiety or panic attack type issues, um, they'd have the same valid reasons and excuse as for not wearing them on public transport. Yeah, and obviously if they're coming to see you for mask anxiety, for instance... Then, so you've got a choice then. You either A, allow them not to wear a mask, which is fully legal. Well, that's fine. You're not breaking any law there as such. Uh, and you wear a mask uh, if you so desire. Or you choose not to see that client. Again, as I said right at the top, there's certain elements of this that are not black and white. And they are down to your own personal views, opinions and conclusions. It will be done by a therapist case by case situation and it also also should be a client case by case situation and assessment and i think those are the two things that we've got to keep reiterating throughout this that everything is going to be different for everybody um and it sounds like a lot of work and verbalizing it is to make it understandable but doing it relatively speaking once you've got 
a proper written risk assessment outline, a basic outline, tailoring it to be specific and individual on a pair short or pair client basis becomes relatively easy in the grand scheme yeah, it's of things. Cool. That's why we're going to leave that for the um, end. Yeah. So therapist, mask, we've kind of covered there. Uh, we'll, we'll cover the fact you can have branded masks made uh, a bit later. Um, hand sanitizer. On top of all this, you've got all your normal standard health and safety stuff. We're not going into that today. Uh, the fact of making sure people are unlikely to trip over a rug in the office, that the chair's safe and they're not going to collapse and all that. All of those things should be 365 days a year being considered. Uh, but that'll probably become clearer later on when we talk risk assessments. So, yeah, making sure you're healthy, masks, hand sanitizer, not touching the client, making sure you've got the appropriate distance. Ventilation. Um, pardon? Ventilation of the room. Ventilation. Uh, how to disinfect the room after each client, which would then perhaps lead to... When a person's been sitting, are you going to use that paper, it's like bloody paper towel, blue-coloured medical that you can it's buy in big rooms? beds. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you gonna, they're using mat are you, are you going to cover the chair with that so you can dispose of it after? Uh, how long are you going to give between clients? Are you going to have to give yourself an extra 20 minutes, half an hour in between clients now because Too you've clean to do all this? Yeah. You know? uh, what happens if you're sharing therapy rooms with other therapists who are also seeing clients so that you're not having clients sat in a waiting room together mm. taking payment from the client uh, you know, is this strictly going to be paypal backs electronic payment only well i would advise as i do with therapy anywhere that you've had full payment in front uh, up front in full uh so that they've got totally committed to the therapeutic process in which case you've had it in a cashless digital manner yeah. anyway but it's the sort of thing that all therapists should really be looking at and i know that possibly for one or two therapists out there that's going to make life very awkward for them yeah having to deal with that well i'm ever so sorry but on the same basis yeah i'm going to predict that those therapists that are finding that bit awkward not be able to take payment electronically really probably don't care about their client's safety or their own safety or their business in the first place but are doing it part-time and not declaring it to the taxman yeah well there you go uh yeah uh and again you know where's your insurance at that point where's everything else that's in place and that's the key thing this is going to apply to stage and therapy but as we're on therapy i'll probably say this again later check your insurance right i mean seriously and you don't just want to speak to somebody on the phone or if you do you want to record that conversation, get their name, tell them that you're recording it because without them, they've got to acknowledge the fact they know it's being recorded for it to be admissible as evidence if ever required. But ideally you want it in black and white writing. So email through the post or whatever would be better. You want to clarify categorically as long as you do things like abiding by social distancing and you can prove that, which you will be able to do because you've videoed your session from before the client enters the room, 
until after they've left the room, which covers you against any false claims of doing anything inappropriate, but also shows that you cleaned the stuff that you're supposed to clean, that you disposed of the things you're supposed to dispose of, that you've done social distancing, that you had a mask and all that. So it'd be next to impossible for someone to successfully um, make a claim against you. Um, I say next to because it's never impossible. He with the best lawyer tends to win, sadly. Justice doesn't always prevail. But best form of defence. You want it in black and white that your policy will allow you to start trading now in that manner. Don't assume it. Just because it doesn't have something in your policy about COVID-19, coronavirus or similar, but it didn't, it wasn't a consideration when the policy was issued. Three months ago, there was a big hoo-ha with businesses who were not protected because they didn't pay for yes. the extended Additional. coverage that they weren't made aware of. So check, because you may not be covered by your insurance policy. And that's an, that works both ways. A, you might not be covered for seeing them face-to-face um, at the moment. But also, if you go about the easiest thing, see them all totally online via Zoom, not face-to-face, your policy might not cover you for virtual sessions over Zoom. Make sure that it does before you proceed. Prevention is better than cure, as the old cliche says. Yeah, I mean, neither of us are saying that uh, a standard hypnotherapy insurance policy will not cover you. We're also not saying that it definitely will cover you. I know We're some saying, don't. I know some do. That's why yeah. I'm saying... For the sake of making a phone call, sending an email, mm. you know, it's, it's got to be worth your while doing that to make sure, you know, that you are... In the keep the written response possible. on file so if ever there was an issue and an argument you can go i was acting on your the insurance company's advice yeah and also ask them to inform you if things change with your policy they should yeah. do anyhow but once you've got that written permission if you like that authority that you can be doing online therapy sessions you know if you turn around in the email that you're sending or that phone call and say, I would like you to contact me if this changes, then the onus is on them to then make that move. You have covered yourself as much. This is what we're talking about with risk assessment, just in a different level. So we're going to get, we will get into that at the end. We've got stage to cover, but therapy wise, I think we've covered insurance, general safety of the office, which is normal risk assessment we'll cover later. And he's also covered in, um the gastric band hypnotherapy section of the elite hypnosis boot camp for people who are in there there's a wonderful guide on uh risk management and risk assessments and safety for hypnotherapists all of that stuff should still be considered uh masks we've touched upon social distancing hand sanitizer cleansing stuff keeping things clean removing as much clutter as possible from the office uh ventilation um waiting for payments in advance pardon couple of other things Go on, excellent. Uh, uh, things to consider how are you going to deal with people that are visiting your offices who need to use the toilet yeah. facilities right again not going to tell you what the answer is because case by case it depends on the location of the toilets whether it's shared toilet facilities with other offices as i know one of my therapy rooms has uh, another one has their own uh, toilet facilities within the unit so not so much of an issue but again 
you know, you've got to be aware of somebody's going to have to possibly, because this isn't advice, uh, this isn't, you know, anything more than my own personal opinion at this point. Somebody may have to go in and clean the toilets after use, as mm. the guidance has been with schools. Yeah. You know, mirror everything that's being done to probably, you, you will look at it and go, my God, I've got to do more work than possibly I need to. But that's good. I would much rather have everything in place and see half as many clients and earn half as much money if I had to see clients face to face than to put one person's life at risk. And that's my own personal view. You know, again, uh, yeah. Agree more. Uh, mugs, coffee mugs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe I did read an article that said that they believe that uh, the virus can remain on a uh, plate, a mug, a dish, cutlery for up to five days. I don't know whether that's true. I'm not a scientist. I'm not a medical well, expert. Not, if not, if not cleaned at the correct temperatures yeah. and, and the correct. I think yes. that I think that to minimise risk completely, you should be looking at not offering the client a cup of coffee when they arrive, mm. because obviously a cup of coffee means removing the mask, which means that you're increasing risk. But again, that's down to individuals to assess on a case by case business by business situation and I think that's we can't reiterate that enough can we that it is down to sitting down and looking at how you run your business yeah um, case by case location by location and pretty much day by day at the minute the guidance laws call them what you will are changing so rapidly and client by client but you can't be too careful in no. the context of no, this no. stuff. Um, so, yeah, I mean, therapy-wise, th- have we given enough of an overview? I think we have. We've covered mass social distancing considerations, getting rid of clutter, toilets, drinks. We've some of the okay. points that need to be considered. I don't think we've raised all the points that need to be considered because that's not our place. Mm. And again, I'm covering both of us here on this call so that everybody's aware that they do need to. I don't want people sitting down and making a list and going, well, they talked about masks, they talked about coffee cups and they talked about finances. Yeah, we can't know your, the exact nature but, of your yeah. uh, business approach, office layout. I know some some therapists use headphones. Hmm. Again, you're going to have to consider how that affects your business. Are you in a position that you can... You can disinfect the headphones between clients and know 100% sure that they are safer than not using headphones at all. But that's an assessment you're going to have to make. Which My is personal assessment on that would be if you're using headphones as a hypnotherapist, I'm not doing this purposely to upset people, but Christ almighty, Why? I know you might argue that because, hey, then I can mess with the sound so it comes from the left and the right and that's going to work better. You know what? It only works better if you think it does. The fact is, if you do it without headphones, so they're just hearing you, or if you want some weird effects, then bloody have a mic going through your computer and have the sound coming out of the speakers, okay, 
a sound level where the speakers are nearer to the client, albeit they'll be two meters or a meter away from social distancing. So there, the sound of that will overrule the fact that they, in the background distance, might be able to hear you speaking into the mic. But even if they did, that would arguably act as a further level of confusion and disorientation, thus help, uh, helping critical faculty bypass and em um, emphasising the power of the so-called, oh, it feels weird, I'm being hypnotised process. But then they can have the echoey stuff coming out of the speakers and hear it that way. Headphones are not required, simple as. You know the butter option? Well, the internet. well, yeah, as we said at the beginning, let's, let's just keep going back to yeah. why you sing. And at the moment, we are aware that one or two very good hypnotherapists have chosen to see clients in their offices yeah. already. And you know, that is their choice. I know full well that they've gone through risk assessments. I know that they've got so much in place. And that they and are operating legally and lawfully based yeah. on the countries they're yeah. in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, not judging you if that's your choice. However, my choice would be to eliminate all possible risk regarding COVID-19 to see clients online. And I think you that's open yourself thing. up to other risks, but the risk level is so much more minimal. And it's something that we're, a lot of us are already used to and can deal with. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. But let's let's just keep reiterating, you know, the easiest way is the safest way, which is online. So I think therapy wise, that's enough. Um, yeah. There are other things, but as we mentioned, that's case by case, person by person, country by country, location by location, things that have to be considered. And they'll become even clearer when we talk about risk assessments at the end. But stage two. Stage hypnotists, which can, to a degree, also apply, a lot of this will also apply to mentalist mind readers and magicians. Quite often can be a combination of the three sometimes. Yep. My intro to this, and then I want your thoughts, is that as a stage hypnotist, we've got slightly more considerations. Now, obviously, firstly, is the venue. It's the venue's legal obligation as to whether they're allowed to open or not. Uh, it's the venue's legal obligation in terms of what the country's guidance or guidelines are regarding social distance seating. I know that in England it's been mooted that uh, a lot of venues at maximum would be operating on a third capacity, but some would be only on a quarter capacity. It depends on the layout as it currently is as to how they then socially distance. One of the first venues, and it's heartbreaking if you search the internet for a picture of the London Palladium, as owned by Andrew Lloyd Webber. He's the first UK theatre to be trying to get up and running again, and he's trialling the, the seating and stuff. And look for the pictures. of They've physically removed loads of seats, and you look at it, and it looks like a run-down theatre. It's truly heartbreaking. Um, but that side, that's the venue's responsibility if they're booking you. If you are looking at hiring a venue, whilst it would still be the venue's responsibility to be abiding by all those laws and guidance, it would be argued, it could easily be argued in law that it also becomes you as the person who's hired that venue responsibility to ensure that those elements of the law are being put into place and followed 
correctly as the third party. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, it'll be your name on the poster. Mm. It'll be you that they've come to see at the venue. If anything was to happen, if it was to be traced back to that event, it is the event that they will remember, not the venue. It'll be your face that's associated with... Well, legally-wise, your face is on the poster if they booked you and are paying you uh, as well. But in that oh, situation, legally, yes. where you've not hired the venue, you've got yeah, less legally. responsibility. You've just yeah. got the COVID stuff to abide by. But the audience distancing stuff... Reputation-wise, yeah. it's a different matter. And exactly. It still reputation needs to is as much for consideration for a business, although your primary concern must be the health and the safety of everybody involved in the show. So I've got some bullet points. Oh, brilliant. Some bullet points. Oh. At the end, we're going to cover risk assessment, but because that applies to everyone. But now, regarding stage performers, some of this may only be relevant to stage hypnotists, others is relevant to magicians and mentalists as well. Well, the bullet points I bought are chairs, people, lights, camera, sound, props, safety, stage, audience venue performer well venue i think an audience we kind of just roughly covered there as an overview but what i also meant by that is um that well no audience and venue we kind of covered that we, we can come back to that if we need we'll, to we'll come back end. to that it's at the bottom of the list we, we're gonna i'm gonna start with stage hypnotism here the days of 12 or more chairs on the stage at the moment, they're out the window unless you're working in a ridiculously massive venue. Because here's the example, my solution to it. And we're going here, I'm going to go off the basis that tomorrow, fingers crossed, the 23rd of June tomorrow, because today is the 22nd of June, the social distancing in England will be reduced to one metre. However, you will see that just because it's reduced to one meter, if you have a bigger distance than that, uh, you're, you can prove you're being safer than the guidance, so to speak. And so, the risk goes down exponentially yeah. the further away you are from the next person. So my suggestion is this. Assuming it goes down to one meter, if not, you know, work this upwards in terms of figures. That one meter distance you get a chair and a chair when someone sat on it you could effectively draw a square that square roughly and, and, and i've done it it will be slightly more than uh 12 inches from front to back because of the person's legs sticking out but width wise it would be somewhere not too far off that sort of distance Okay, so we'll allow a foot for that. 30 centimetres. Let's keep to well, metric no, or imperial. Uh, uh, all right, well, that, I'm going to work in feet then. Okay. Because I work better that way and people just have to, as we said before, a metre is 3.28 foot, two metres is 6.56 foot. You can do a conversion on the internet. But the point is this, 12 inches, which is a foot, we allow for the chair. Then I would suggest that half a foot is allowed to the left of the chair, half a foot to the right of the chair, half a foot to the front of the chair, half a foot to the back of the chair. In other words, we now have 
effectively, if it was a circle, a two-foot diameter circle that at the centre of it is the chair. Okay? Now, I'm not expecting you to mentally remember what a two-foot diameter circle looks like. What I'm suggesting is you get a tape measure, get two-foot... Uh, um, yeah, on that basis, one, um, yeah, I'm losing the plot. Not foot. Sorry, I'm confusing myself here. Sorry. Scrap that. Let's talk metres because I'm, I'm confusing myself with this raw here. One metre is being allowed, which is 3.28 foot for the chair. Half a metre is being allowed at either side. So in total, we end up with a two metre diameter, which is 6.56 foot diameter circle. You get a tape measure and you measure that. And then you, you do this at home first. Then you get a piece of bloody cardboard. You make a two meter diameter cardboard circle. You then can take a piece of string and put that all the way around the circumference the out, uh, of the circle to get a piece of string that is that long and then also allow a bit extra for knotting, cut it. So then you've got, you make sure you've done your knot and you use your example uh, two meter cardboard circle to make sure that once it's knotted, it is when it's made into a circle. You then use that as your template, that length of string to use, I would suggest, magician's rope, purchasable from magic companies. And I would purchase two colors, red and yellow. Uh, the reason being that if, for some bizarre reason, you ended up on a red coloured stage, you'd use the yellow rope. If you ended up on a yellow coloured stage, you'd use the red rope. Unlikely, I know, but possible. We have discussed this in the past. Transparency yeah, it ties instance. in with the UK 1952, which is a map that says yeah. you have to have a white line at the front of the stage, which is useless if the stage is white. You need a different coloured tape for the yeah. uh, one foot safety uh, distance at the front of the stage under the UK 1952 and although that law doesn't apply in other countries I suggest it should be followed uh, as well anyway because then you can tell people not to go over that line unless instructed to directly and you're adding an element of safety to your show anyway but that's not a COVID consideration so you can make these two meter diameter circles of raw Okay. I'll make life easy for you. Your two metre diameter circle of rope is going to be just over six metres long. Uh, yeah, pi D. So if it's two metres diameter, it's six metres in length of rope that you're tying up just over. And I mean, Sorry, if you do it the way so, I said, you guarantee because you make simple right? maths. So uh, all right, well, I, I do it the cardboard way. You do it your own way at your own risk. Okay. But the end result's the same. Am I going to make it even easier? Put tape down on the stage and make squares. That well, is at no. least one metre each way. Well, you could, but let me finish. Make the rope circles. This is what I'll be doing. And uh, make up of them. I would suggest that you make 12 of them. But the chances of you using 12 in the current climate are going to be few and far between for British performers and most European performers. American performers, 
that end up in high schools where they've got massive stages at the end of sports rooms and stuff, different matter. You know, the fact that they've got stages where they can fit on 60 screaming students at the start and during the show have 30 chairs on there. We don't have that luxury in England and Europe. Uh, so you might be able to fit more. But you know what? I would suggest that you don't have more than 12 anyway, even if the option's there because of other health and safety considerations covered in the transparency template that we'll refer to later. So I would be carrying 12 of these in red and 12 in yellow. They don't take up that massive amount of space because they're open. They go in a bag, shoulder bag. When I got to the venue, bear in mind that you've got your one meter for the chair. You've got half a meter either side. These are two meter diameters, okay, which is roughly six foot. Six foot diameter. Six, 12, 12 foot, okay. Let me tell you now, in England, people who are working small clubs and pubs will be lucky if they've got much more than a 12 foot diameter. They'll probably have enough room, therefore, then in this example, to have one, a bit of a gap away from the wall or wherever, one of these circles, a bit of a gap, tiny bits, they use the hypnotist can walk between the circles so they're not coming in with the social distancing space, and then the next circle the sad fact is if you're working pubs and clubs in england i'm sorry but it is going to be that difficult for you i can't see it happening whilst the social distancing exists i can't in england they're probably going to say they have been saying they won't be allowing singers but if it was allowed yes it will be that difficult initially the government in england will just allow your solo singers back into venues who don't need anyone near them who can just be stood in a spot and socially distanced. It's going to be a while before you get the green light, UK stage hypnotist. Now, in other countries, because I know in America they're already doing stage hypnosis shows, some people. Um, as I say, I would do that. So if, if roughly six foot, six, 12, 18, you know, 18 foot, that's three wide of these with a bit of gap. It's more like 20 foot um, width. To have three of them in width don't, and don't space forget, to be able to walk around them. Don't forget your distance. two end people don't need a six foot diameter. They only need three foot on one side of them because there'll be no social distancing on one side. So you can get three people into a as 12 long foot as It's a venue that's like a proper stage scenario where members of the public can't suddenly walk yeah. down the side. Then, yes, I would agree. But that's obviously. Well, there may be some so, venues yeah. where you would need it, yeah. Um, just, I, I am going to say this. I'm going to describe to you a little bit here. Uh, again, I must say, you know, I personally tape rather than um, rope. To well, let me stage. finish. I'd say one thing that oh. once you rope circles there, I would be affixing it with the same coloured uh, gaffer tape just because I'm uh, all CD like that. Oh. With a little tiny bit, just so it remains flat and circular in case of any vibration during routines. Although we're going to keep. Still got a trip hazard though. I'm, I've, I've got to say it. The trip hazard is going to be non-existent practically because we're going to stick it down partly with gaffer, and they're never going to go near it other than no. to get to the chair because they're going to remain sat in the chair for the entire show. Square, square tape on the floor, easier, quicker. Job done. Personal preference. Yeah. But in which case, tape measure and gaffer tape. I will be using rope, but hey, 
Personal or, preference. Okay, on the another option for you. You know, piece of string that is uh, three three foot long. Pin on one side, pin it into the stage, piece of chalk, and draw a circle. And place your chair right in the centre. There you go, job done. Uh, if they're not going to cross the line, then this line can't get scuffed out. As long as it's visible, it's well, there. Well, I would be saying to them, you know, like in England with the UK 52, it, this is a map, line at the front of the stage has to be 12 inches, a foot away from the edge of the stage, and they have to be told not to go over that line unless instructed, and that has to be part of your original induction and post-hypnotic at the top of the show. And I would suggest that should be the case worldwide anyway, from a safety point of view. In the same manner, I would tell them for the rest of the show, they will not leave their red-coloured or yellow-coloured circle or square, your choice, uh, at any point without first asking the hypnotist to do so so if they need the toilet they will get the hypnotist attention and ask so but in terms of any suggestions they will remain within that circle or within that square that is the only way to ensure social distancing because otherwise when hypnotized as we know people wonderful imaginations could end up whatever the routine be uh, end up leaving that little area of space and end up in the other person next to them's square or circle. That is why I would say stage hypnosis wise at the minute, as awkward as for some of you it may seem, uh, that the person remains in the circle or square and the vast majority, if not all of the routines are done with them sat down in a chair with arms on, so it's less likely for them to be able to slip out of it. Um, that props wise, there are either no props used which sadly does make hypnosis shows less visually appealing, I know, or that the props you use are single-use disposable ones. Even then, I would be certainly saying nothing that's inflatable, mm -hmm. because obviously this needs blowing up. Um, if it's single-use and disposable, it should only be handled by... You've, you've then got the issue of how do you get it from your case or backstage to the volunteer are you going to be wearing gloves for instance this has all got to be assessed i would when setting all my suggestion is when setting the show up the props that you video that the same way as you would video your show a because you can sell the videos of the show as we know but also b because it's a record that you've abided by all regulations laws that may be relevant and also gone above and beyond um and I would have in the circles or squares preset under the chairs, so they can't trip on it when they're coming up to the stage at the beginning, any few, and it would just be a few to at least give the odd bit of visual variation, prop uh, that could be, uh, this could be as random as it being a paper cup that's easily disposable and cheap. But you can still say to everyone, everyone, as you sat there now, carefully, uh, you know, your eyes are open. You, you wouldn't do anything deaf when you're hypnotised, would you? No, of course not. Do me a favour. Under your chairs, you'll each find uh, a paper cup that was put there at the start of the show, as I explained. Anything under your chairs, I had gloves on. You'd come on stage with the gloves and mask on and make a point of I can take these off now because I'm not going to be touching anyone. I'm not going to be touching the chairs during the show. I'm not going to be touching the things under the chairs. Uh, I've just finished setting the show up in advance to give people peace of mind. And you genuinely would have had the gloves on when you did that, as the video would prove for an insurance or, or legal defence point of view. And with the paper cup, for example, 
get it for yourself. So they've already got the peace of mind. You had done it safely. It's there under the chair already. They can get it themselves. And you say, hold on to the paper cup tightly. And everyone, sleep. When you wake up in a few months' time, you'll believe that is the world's most precious antique. And you will, um, you know, not want anyone to take it off you, but you will definitely, you'll explain what it is and why it's the world's best antique. Now, you could do that with an invisible thing, but it's visually more appealing to the audience by adding in oh, that simple, disposable, cheap yeah, antiques roadshow routine, that yeah. sort of thing. Now, it's not a necessity of the show. It's not an essential part to have that prop. But I think at that stage where you are able to do shows, there is that argument, and it's up to the individual performer to assess whether or not it's worthwhile. It's up to the individual performer to assess that regarding each venue, each show. And even once they're there at the show, they may have placed the cups in position and then assessed again whether or not it's safe to do so, whether it's right to do so, whether or not any risk is worthwhile at all, whether it can be minimised more by not doing that routine for whatever reason and so on. But, yeah, I think that when you're at the stage of doing shows... You know, I think we're probably at the stage of, well, people are going to be drinking out of cups in bars and venues. You know, so maybe disposable props. And I was, yeah, I was happy to disagree with you, but I can see your point there. And But it's a consideration for yourselves. Yeah. Now, because you're either going to be using less props or no props, depending on your preference uh, and personal decisions until we get back to normal, and then, then as soon as they say it's fine to do things the way they were, get those props out. I love nothing more than a good prop on stage, but we've got to move with the times. Because there's going to be less or no props, the use of music to make it more of a theatrical occasion will become more important than uh, than before, I yep. would say. Um, and in fact, I would argue that the vast majority, not necessarily all, because you want to give a bit of light and shade up and down, but the majority of routines that will enable you to have your person sat on their chair in their square or circle, socially distanced and safe, will be ones such as, very quickly running through it, you're watching a funny film, sad film, scary film, Western, E.T. and doing the actions of saving E.T., uh, 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 an adult movie, if the venue is appropriate, that they can interact with. Uh, they're all sat down, uh, horse race, riding donkeys on the beach, cold day, um, playing pianos, playing musical instruments, all stuff that can be done sat down. Yes, uh, a lot of people will probably agree with me here. A, a lot of American hypnotists have just described their shows anyway. Um, get up today, get a life. And if I've offended people, well, that means it's you. Sorry. But I call those shows Dullers Ditch Water Shite uh, because it's routines that, frankly, you know, I'm not saying you should do an adult show, especially not if it's not that audience. But you should be doing stuff that at least people can lend some credibility to that you might have hypnotized people into doing it and they wouldn't just do it anyway. Um, but that isn't really a consideration at the moment. The consideration is in order to get bookings and justify to clients uh, and agents and bookers that what you're offering is safe, 
for them to sell to their clients and for the person who's then going to book it through the agent or directly off you to feel safe and comfortable that there will not be any backlash on them, you need to be able to assure them that you're doing it in a socially distanced, safe, COVID coronavirus guidance or laws in your own individual country. And that, and that every show will be assessed on an individual basis. Yeah. And that's the sort of thing you should be telling the client. You should be doing it anyhow. And I know I keep repeating myself on this, but if you tell the client that it's going to be assessed on an individual basis and you insist that you have stage plans or at least photographs and measurements of the venue and you have access to be able to see what the chairs look like, you you may decide that you're going to start transporting your own chairs with you, for instance, if the venue doesn't have the right sort and of chairs. And then spraying and sanitising them when you get arrive yeah. in setup, which we've got on videos we spoke about, because you want chairs with arms on. Or I would say chairs without arms in the context of this, where you have got them so distanced, so you could be at one end of the stage near someone you're doing a talking routine. You might be doing a talking routine. You're the world's... Uh, you're Mr. Opposite. Everything the hypnotist says, that's a Ken Webster idea, I think. Uh, Robert Halpin did a very similar routine years ago. Um, but you, you're Mr. Opposite. Anything the hypnotist says, you totally disagree with strongly. You'll argue your point. It's way funnier than it sounds. Uh, but you're at one end of the stage doing that, but stood outside of the person's square or circle. If you're working one-on-one with someone with a pattern routine, and bear in mind, you're going to be a distance from them, so you want your sound man to turn up the um, your microphone way more than he would normally. You're going to have to do proper sound checks in advance because the person, the closest you're going to be to them with this two meter is you're going to be, on the basis of it being one meter social distance, an example, you're going to be just over a meter away from them. And you don't want to go in that circle. So you're not stretching your arm in the circle. That's not social you distancing. you can only be, or the likelihood is, you're only going to be one metre away from them, either directly in front or behind them, because you won't be able to be one metre to the side of them, because you'll have somebody else next to you. Well, I would I still leave a bit of a gap to walk yeah. between for but that would, purpose. Yeah, but then again, you'd have to... That space restrictions problems yeah. are... Uh, where possible, I'd have enough gap to walk between the circles or squares. Yeah. But if you're at one end of these, and you may only have three of them if you're in a small performance venue, and yeah, that might mean doing a show with only three people. But if you've never done a show with just one volunteer in your career, you're either A, a liar, or B, you haven't done enough shows. We've all done it, or even the biggest names I spoke to at some point. The difference here is you're going to, even in a bad small venue, have two or three people. And the beauty is you'll pick them from your absolute best subjects. You're in control of it. It can't possibly look like failure. It looks to the audience as what it is, being COVID-19 coronavirus aware, compliant and safe. So it allows you to do a show with the best volunteers only. Actually, think of it as an advantage, not a disadvantage. But if you're at one end of the row, yes, you need arms on the chairs because the other person, unless you keep everyone else on stage, and it is a suggestion, eyes open state, if you're doing something on one person at this end, um, you want to avoid the chance of them falling out of chair. You can't suddenly run over and stop them. A, because you're too far away, 
and there's obstructions and B, because then social distance is out of the window. And yes, in the case of a real emergency, you would have a legal defense of I wanted to stop that person banging the head and potentially cutting your head yeah. open. But you would have to be able to show that you'd put everything else in place in advance to minimize the risk of that happening in the first place for it to be a legal defense that you brought the social distancing bit. Let's discuss our reactions on the same basis. Yes. Somebody is sat within their circle, within their square. They have an reaction for whatever reason. You are going to have to be able to walk. I mean, it, it is a legal responsibility to walk into that circle or that square if you deem it necessary to be so. You are the expert on that site at that time. There is nobody else who can tell you what you can and cannot do as we've discussed at Transparency regarding um, the position of local authorities in the UK and the 1952 Hypnosis Act. And laws around the world as well. Laws around the world, um, even you know, the visitation of police officers to a venue. You know, I would say that I don't think there is a police officer in the UK that has enough experience or as much experience and knowledge of stage hypnosis as any professional stage hypnotist who's been doing it for six months or more mm. you are the expert in that venue and if you deem it necessary to minimize risk then you should do that and don't be afraid of it don't be going oh i can't step inside that circle ever again this is down to risk assessment ongoing risk assessment even at the time and this should all be recorded in a document of what you will do in the case of an reaction. I think a key sentence is if there is a safe consistently safe way to do something that does not require you to go into that circle or square then, then that should be done. Do you must do it. Yes. That way. Uh, however if there is a necessity for you to step into that square because there is no other way of achieving what you need to achieve for the safety of an individual or individuals within the show or the venue or the staff of that venue or yourself then you must do that as well now i'm going to confess something um people who've seen me perform will know that i quite often refer to people as mates love, a geezer, whatever. It's kind of the bad boy character, it appears to be. No, it's because I'm crap at remembering names and I'm too lazy to learn a simple memory system, which uh, my wife teaches other people and they master in next to no time. I am too lazy, um, so that is a confession. In this circumstance, one of the things I would have under the chairs is uh, a name, a self-adhesive name label that was cut, and a pen, that being disposable ones that the toddler can either take away with them or get thrown away for the reasons we mentioned earlier. And one of the first things I'd do before the induction, well, maybe not before the induction because we're going to get rid of some people maybe, um, is get them to put their name on that and stick it on. Um, you may be more inclined to learning a memory system and remembering people's names, okay? That's probably better. OK, yeah. the point is to know their name, because if you know their name and you can, assuming there's no one else of the same name or. But that doesn't particularly matter, because one of the other things I forgot to mention earlier and I've got it noted here is, yes, they're in there 
circle or square. But as you will have a limited number of people because of space on stage, I would give each person a number as well. So that they know from the top of the show, they're number one, they're number two, they're number three, they're number four, five, six, up to 12 maximum. Because you know what? I can't see you having a stage area big enough, even in America, for to do this with numbers that like you normally use. OK, three, four, more than enough to do a good show. Um, but give them each a number as well so that if they have the same name, there can't be confusion. But if they've got different first names, excellent, then you can just use the names. For any reason you end up with two Alexes on stage, say, then you want to refer to them by their number sometimes in case of emergency. Emergency being potential ab reaction where you don't need to go into the circle or square. You just get nearby and you go, Alex, if there's only one Alex, then obviously you're talking to them. Alex, I'm just talking to you, relaxing down deeper and go to a place in your mind now where you feel totally calm, safe and secure. If you don't know how to deal with ab reactions, you shouldn't be on stage. Simple as. Uh, it's covered in depth in the transparency template. If you're one of those stage hypnotists who says it will never happen on stage, if you do things right, then you haven't done enough shows or you're talking through your ass. Um and you really do need to study the transparency template. But the point is you can refer, you don't need to touch them. You can refer to them and say, I'm talking to you, but they've got to know without any level of confusion, A, so that they know it's applying to them, and B, so if there was somebody else called Alex on stage, he didn't start getting panicky thinking, well, I don't need to go anywhere safe and end up having some sort of adverse reaction to the suggestion. Alternatively, if you do have, as for your three people, two people with the same name, or you're doing a show with maximum three people and you've got half a dozen volunteers and two of them got the same name, make your life easier. Make everybody's life easier. Make it as safe as possible. Screw it down as much as possible to the fact of you've got one person. Send one of the Alexes back. Yeah. Um, just, you know, and you might say, but that's my second best volunteer. Right. But on the, on the level of safety for everybody involved, wouldn't it be easier if you only had one Alex on stage, one John on stage, one Mary on stage, as opposed to having three Johns? I verbally asked them on mic what they're called if you've got more than one person with the same first name. Nicknames. Ask one of them, would it be okay to call you Al for short during this show so that we don't get confused with Alex over there? Um, Nicknames. You know? uh, there's, there's all sorts of re ways around it. Yeah. And again, it's down to individual performers, individual venues, and individual shows. But it's more important than ever because you can't be doing the, I'm only talking to you if I touch you on the shoulder right now. You can't do that. No. You can do yeah. your nod your head if you understand once you've given the suggestion to confirm that they've understood it, taking it on board. But because you can't be touching them on the shoulder and indicating them, you're going to have to tell them at the beginning, you know, for the rest of this evening, whenever I say sleep as quickly as this, a snap of the fingers, your eyes will instantly close, you have your head will fall forward onto your chest. You'll re-enter this state calmly, safely and securely, sat firmly, safely in your chair. Um, and you'll do that automatically unless I indicate otherwise I will be talking directly to you only if I call you by name or mention your number, if you've done that. Or I indicate that I'm talking to the men or the women on the stage. I'm not even going to get into the gender debate about, oh, that could upset people of different gender fluidity. Because one thing COVID and coronavirus has 
blatantly demonstrated is that when it comes to people being on death's door, you're either male or you're female. Um, and that's going to upset some people, I know, but it's the simple fact of the matter when it comes to them being on death's door. Do your research on the internet. Sorry, I know I've offended people there, but the fact is, if that does offend you, then avoid saying I'm talking to all the men on the stage or I'm talking to all the women on the stage because either A, that could offend people who then don't react the way you want them to. And by that, I mean, if you say I'm talking to all the men on the stage and I regularly do, which you'll see in my shows, I'm only talking to the men, all the men on the stage in a few moments when you hear this piece of music, snippet of music, give the routine suggestion. When you hear that music, all the men on the stage will do X, Y and Z, whatever the routine is. And then the music started and it's happened on one or two shows that the music starts and a woman jumps up with the men doing the routine. Uh, Carlisle Capers is the name of one of my shows that's on sale where this happens. And I find out afterwards the woman identifies as the, the male part of uh, the butch part of a lesbian relationship. She did do. That's what I found out afterwards. The majority of the audience knew this. They found it bloody hilarious. I wondered to a slight degree what was going on. Things like that can happen. Fortunately, they found it funny. Other people could find that offensive in this politically ridiculously correct world. Well, there are other things you, you need to consider as well. So that, you know, they've got to know you're speaking to them to know when to react and where possible without you having to touch them is the safety point, I think. Yeah. And that sums that one up. So we've covered lights, lighting effects. If you can get your lighting man, if there is one, to alter the lighting for different routines to give it more theatrical impact. That Please do. Have, have, um, have the lights chasing through several sequences so it's high impact, it's visual. You know, the whole Betty Hill thing of, you know, all the lights chasing along doing, you know, different flashes. So it's not just one static set of lights uh personally you know in this situation i would probably be looking at traveling with my own set of lights that i would have on the floor behind pointing upwards so you've got a bit of backlight a little bit of smoke and haze not too much because of safety but again to give that more theatrical experience and to fill that stage up and whilst i'm at it stage setting roller banners backdrops you know the whole thing you know, you need to fill that stage as much as possible with this. If you go out normally with just two roller banners left and right side of the stage, consider getting a couple of big roller banners or backdrops for the back of the stage to make it look busier and fuller. Mm. Yeah. But yeah, lighting, you know, a couple of chases. Uh, if you don't know what lighting chases are, have a look on the Internet. Ask your own lighting guy. You know, speak to somebody who works in the theatre, let them explain it. But as long as it's being done safely and you're not blinding the volunteers, the audience, etc. You know, through either bad lighting practice or smoke. Also, lighting's going to be useful in terms of the induction, because like it or not, at the moment, you're not, ideally, you're not. Guidance could change tomorrow, for all I know, but... Right now, as we record this, 22nd of June, 2020, um, it would be inappropriate to touch 
the volunteers. That means no drop back inductions. And no, that doesn't mean you can do a drop back induction where you're not touching them and make them drop on the floor and not catch them. Because that goes against conventional health and safety. I know there's some fuckwits out there. I'm not going to mention uh, their names, but there's certainly one American in particular who regularly lets people fall to the floor without catching them on purpose as part of his show. Normally, you can um, find the videos on YouTube. I'm not going to mention the name, but deep down, you know who they are. They think they are the oh, be all and end all of the right. industry. And they're not. They're a fuckwit. He doesn't abide by any health and safety laws. Um, so, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying um, you can't be touching people. That means, sadly, the seesaw induction uh, is yeah, currently out. It's a lot out. You know what you're going to have to do? You're going to have to do one of the following inductions. Either A... And some people will favour this because theatrically, a lot of people would argue that doing an induction that's too quick anyway is unbelievable to an audience. And to be honest, even when I use rapid inductions normally, I do one or two at the beginning to get the boo wow factor. And then I'll do a slower induction on the rest as a group that seems more believable to the audience. Well, you're left at the moment with the slower progressive relaxation. Stare at the spotlight, 45 degree angle. If you don't know these inductions, for Christ's sake, you've not been taught properly by the transparency template. They're all in the training the eyes, looking at the spotlights, lights getting so heavy, so tired. The cliched thing that, yeah, can be done relatively quickly in like three, four minutes. You can do one of them quite. I've done it. But because we're going to in our pre-talk on a COVID uh, compliant type show but a large emphasis on the fact that we are doing things not as we would normally do a show but so that they are legally compliant ethically morally compliant and safe for everybody who volunteers the audience and yourself that emphasis has got to be got across in your pre-talk so that the audience sure. think you're caring and you are and they know why things are different than when they've perhaps seen you do a show in the past or another stage at the disc OK, so they don't hold you by this show as being all you can do as well, because they know they'll, you're limited to the number of people who can come on stage, the number who will actually be kept on stage. And all these things can be emphasised to create that expectation of the competing against each other to make them more compliant and reactive and better subjects and actually make the show better with a smaller number of people. Concentrate on a few people. It's too many American stage hypnotists have like a dozen, 15, 20 people on stage throughout the show. It's distracting to the audience. Honestly, it is. That audience will enjoy themselves more with half a dozen people who they can see and concentrate on more and see more of their visual facial expressions and reactions than being distracted by things happening all over the place. As always, um, pre-talk, have as much of it pre-recorded, especially with your legal obligations beforehand. I would be going along the lines of, ladies and gentlemen, the show is about to start in five minutes' time. Jonathan Royal is an established stage hypnotist with 30 years' experience. Uh, tonight's show is legally compliant with all the current government guidelines. It has uh, been designed to be safe for you. This is not the normal show that he would pre present out of. And I would have that more as an emphasis on the on a pre-recorded talk than on your part of your stage talk live. 
because to start mentioning things about safety, etc., and legal obligations, whilst you're on stage trying to get people up, is going to create a negative in some minds. It is going to cause a conflict. And, you know, when it comes down to risk assessment, that is not part of the risk assessment. As long as the audience are informed at some point during the evening, then that should be enough. As long as your show is legally compliant, it could be said that it's not necessarily that the audience are necessarily made aware of it. Where possible, I would suggest that not only is it a voiceover, but it's a voiceover combined with visual imagery. Yep. So either by taking your own beamer, laptop beamer and screen, which might not look wonderful in a venue because it might be only a certain size you can travel, but it'd be better than no screen. Um, so that that can come on before you come on stage. And it's got footage of you in other shows where you've got tons of people on stage. You've got all the big props. You've got everything the way it should ideally be and will be hopefully one day when this COVID coronavirus, it, 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 when we're told it's OK to do things the way we did previously. But people can see it and the voiceover can go, you know, for the past 30 years, Jonathan Royal has done shows around clips of TV or whatever's relevant to you. It's got to be truthful. But visually, it's impressing them. It's building up the anticipation before you come on. They can see what it will be like. And then you go, but tonight, you may notice the stage only has a few, because you, unless you purposely get various recorded, it only has three, four, five, six, seven, so many chairs. So that word's different. Uh, just a few chairs far less than normal this is because we're abiding by all social distancing rules all government regulations all relevant laws of health and safety and duty and care for the protection of both your performer this evening and more importantly you the audience and even more importantly those wonderful members of the audience who volunteer to be the stars of tonight's show Things will be slightly different. There will not be as many props as you saw in the clip. And tell them in advance, it's all laid out. It's not a negative, but also they're in a state of mind that you are doing the best for them. They will love you then. Uh, having it pre-recorded, you're not going to miss anything out, of course. It's going to be there as much as you need. It doesn't take you much to do. And if you haven't got a beamer and you really want to go down your route, and I do love that idea of having the visuals, um, have a separate page on your website or your Facebook group or similar where literally they can go to www.yourwebsitename.com forward slash shows or something that is different to anything else. I'd probably just buy for what they cost one domain name, cost you $10 yep. and have it directed to a single page where the video is and yep. you're pretty sure this evening show will start in 15 minutes time. Before this evening show begins, those of you with a device, we encourage you to please visit www.pinkbananas.com. It doesn't matter what it is, how ridiculous. Something that's dead easy for them to remember, quick to type, that will take them to a single page that has got a video and tell them, please watch the three minute video on there yeah. before this evening show begins. Now, yeah. not everyone will be able to do, but you say it, you know, those that can do, and the fact is those that do get to see it are, a lot, are more likely, I would argue, to then be of an expectation level that they're more likely to become a, a, a willing, cooperative volunteer. 
choose your video carefully, edit it carefully. I will personally not have any sound on that video at all uh, because you'll have a hundred people possibly potentially in a large venue in all this context. To that at the same time. doing it on stage, yeah. sound, yeah. voiceover. But, if, for the context and I'm looking at it on a device, got, just have on-screen captions. Yeah, and play the music through the on-site PA. Yeah. So that you've got the lively music that would be playing behind yeah. your showreel. But have the captions, have the screen flashes coming up with, ladies and gentlemen, tonight's show is 100% legally compliant. It is safe. You won't be asked to do anything. Yeah, you know, and put all your text in there. Yeah. You know, there is there for an argument that um, you know that video will um, have issues with people that are unable to read or don't speak uh, the native language of your show or the venue. Um, however, I would say that because this is an addition to everything that you are legally obliged to do that it is an acceptable choice at the time yeah and your largest percentage of people will be english speaking but if you know that you're going to perform for an audience where you were going to be using an interpreter which again you'd have to socially distance from the interpreter and how to use an interpreter check out the hypnosis week episode with jt we discussed that in depth in there um and with common sense you'll be able to do it in a, a socially compliant manner but if you knew that a large percentage of the audience were of a, um, a different language or they all were if you were using an interpreter for what it costs to get the client could probably arrange for the interpreter to voice over the video for you in advance yep. as part of the contract or for what it costs to go on something like fiverr.com and find somebody in that country who could put the captions together for you. Make sure they've got good feedback and you're not going to get something on screen saying I killed a monkey instead of, you know, this show is safe. Make sure they've got lots of feedback and positive uh, and you can get it done in the language that's relevant to the majority yeah. of your audience. Yeah. Yes, it means taking a bit more effort in this. What the big message here is the thought, prior planning, prior planning, preparation prevents piss poor performance you've there's a lot of that involved here um I'm, I'm quite aware of the time uh right now um i don't know if you want me to start whizzing through please do yeah because i mean of all of this applies to magicians and mentalists as well yeah uh, oh, obviously yeah common sense don't have people picking cards Oh, God, no, no. Uh, tossed out deck is no, no. Uh, book tests, not going to happen. Um, having said that, I do a book test, as you're aware, that doesn't use any books. Um, but uh, if you're interested in what that book test is and how it works, uh, have a chat with me and I'll put you in touch with the person who supplies it. Uh, not going to give a free advert out here for everybody to be doing it next week because yeah. uh, I quite like that routine myself well, like hands to... off where possible isn't it for magicians and mentors hands off yeah um, yeah uh, if you can do if you can do a show without bringing a volunteer on stage at all as a magician or mentalist do so because you are lowering the risk to yourself to the people involved in the show to the audience because the less we move around more the social distancing is complied to. 
you know, it's all about reducing risk. Well, hazard. We can't do that, can Sorry. we? Well, I'm just going to throw out a few titles for you. Jim Steinmeier's Impossibility books, which are quite often routines, or there's lots of routines in there, or any books or DVDs on radio magic, the Impossibility books as well, yep. where effectively, if people follow what you're saying verbally, they wouldn't even need to be in the room with you. Those things brought to the stage can be done so that people in the audience, you could, with some thought, tell everyone to bring with them to the show if they want to participate in things, bring a deck of playing cards with them, for example. Yes. Um, and you could have them doing the certain routines, you could have them holding the cards, counting and other mathematical things you think, oh, we shouldn't do it. But you know what? Jim Steinmeier's Impossibility books show you that there is a possible way to make these things entertaining. Aldo Columbini has released, or had released, before he sadly passed, uh, several DVDs on distance magic tricks over the telephone. Yeah, uh, over I the telephone, mean, that's what I should have said. Over the telephone, yeah. search for magic over the telephone, search for um, magic for the radio. Yes. Jim Steinmeier's Impossibility books are full of stuff you can use. Uh, I believe Lee Hathaway uh, in Hing England has just released... Uh, a technique that's ideal for Zoom for people who are doing online shows. That's a different consideration. Yep. I'm not saying that's something you'd be using in a live stage show, but I'm just saying the stuff out there it may be adaptable to that. Yeah. Speak you to Lee. Stuff you may never have considered in the past in the dealer's catalogue or on their website. Suddenly now may seem like a better idea when you consider that you don't have to get anyone up from the audience. Yep. You don't have to have someone physically handle anything. It's uh, stuff that can happen in their own hands or in their own minds. Uh, in the Dark, the lecture that was presented at Blackpool Magic Convention 2020 in mm. February. Uh, that may well be. I didn't get to see the presentation, the lecture, unfortunately. Uh, I was uh, otherwise engaged. But definitely um, elements of it that would be usable. Uh, from yes. Obviously, the, the consideration there of people did have to have certain props to Again, if they brought their own props or certain things mm -hmm. would have, but it's that sort of idea, that sort of presentation, that premise that could be adapted, perhaps. Yeah. So look, uh, we're getting near the end. Yeah. Um, in general, risk assessments, health and safety, I they would... apply even after COVID coronavirus has gone, or we're told it's there, but it's so low risk that we can get back to normal. Uh, normal health and safety and duty of care is still illegal, and if not legal. Uh, in all contexts, is still a moral and ethical, and I would say professional obligation for your reputation and long-term yeah. business. Yes. What's a rough oversight of that? I mean, in depth, people want to see an example risk assessment for a stage hypnotist, the best they'll ever see, they need to buy a physical set of the transparency template DVDs because it doesn't come with the download. No. Um, you have to get a physical set, and there will be a link below um, yeah, uh, right. Basically, uh, risk assessment is it's the whole thing of identifying where there's a issue that has the potential to injure, harm, maim or even kill an individual and to calculate the risk of that hazard happening and then looking at posting as much in place to either eliminate that hazard completely or reduce the risk to 
an acceptable level. Okay. So uh, let's take, we've been talking about stage work. So let's just, as an example, take a normal stage hypnosis show with a stage hypnotist who's carrying a microphone. Mm -hmm. It's a cable microphone. And they walk on stage, they say good evening, you know, and they do their opening speech. At that point, that cable microphone has very little risk. They're on a stage, there is nobody about, that cable isn't going to trip anybody up. We're going to assume that the cable has been checked to make sure that it's not broken, it's not frayed, it's not going to do the performer or the venue any damage at that point in time. But as soon as we bring volunteers up onto the stage, there is a risk that those volunteers may trip over that cable. So to reduce the risk of that hazard, and the, the hazard is that they trip over, they could bang their head, they could fall off the stage, break their leg. You know, there's so much that could happen. Um, to reduce that risk dramatically, we've got several options. One, we could take the cable off the floor and have it hanging from the flies, the ceiling, and actually have the microphone coming down. Not really a reasonable response. It's not ideal for the performer. There are limitations then to where the performer can stand. Therefore, it isn't the best response. We could get rid of the microphone completely because obviously without that cable, there's no trip hazard. If we eliminate the microphone, we get rid of the trip hazard. We have eliminated the risk 100%. But we've then created another risk, another hazard, which is that suddenly, can everybody hear the performer in a safe way? Does that then create further risks later on if the volunteers and the audience cannot hear everything that's being said very clearly? <clears throat> so eliminating the microphone's no good. So we've got the choice of using a handheld microphone that doesn't have a cord or a clip-on or a headset microphone that hasn't got a cord leaving the body. And at that point, we have reduced the risk of tripping over a cable on a microphone to zero because the cable doesn't exist. But we haven't increased the risk of people not being able to hear us because we still have a microphone in a PA system that works clearly. As long like as it. batteries have been changed and everything's working correctly. Yeah. And you know, but what we're going what we're literally doing is we're taking every element of a we'll call it a performance. Hip therapists are gonna hate me for the saying this, but we'll call it a performance. From people arriving at the venue to leaving the venue, we're going to see how they interact with other people, props, the venue itself, the staff, the performer, the therapist. And we're going to take every one of those little pieces and we're going to go, where is the hazard? Can they trip over a rug in the waiting room? Yeah. When they open that door, are they at risk of increasing the chance of catching an infection. So where do we put the hand sanitizer? Do we put it this side of the door or that side of the door? Can we increase the chance of them using that hand sanitizer 
by placing a sign somewhere. Where should the sign go? And literally, we are breaking everything down to its component elements. We are walking through the performance of a hypnotherapy session and identifying as many hazards as possible. And you're not going to get them all first time. But you're going to identify as many hazards as possible. And you're going to work out what the best practice is to reduce the risk of those hazards so that they are either eliminated or taken down to an acceptable level. Now, what is deemed as an acceptable level is, again, not my place to tell you today. I would seriously suggest that after watching this today, this video, you go to, no matter where you are in the world, you go to uh, the UK's Health and Safety Executive website, which is off the top of my head, www.hse.gov.uk I'm, I'm going to just have a quick look. One second. It's yeah. hse.gov.uk. Okay. Um, go there. And they have a they have a wonderful page on creating risk assessments for COVID. Now, not all of those scenarios that they're going to mention, all the stages that they talk about, will apply to your show or your business, your therapy rooms. And there are going to certainly be, it's going to be vague because it's a coverall situation. There are going to be people out there, and I, I'm surprised I haven't heard of it yet. <clears throat> I don't know if you have yet. There are going to be people out there who are going to offer to write you a risk assessment for your therapy, business, or your stage show regarding COVID-19 the coronavirus I would personally be extremely wary of paying anybody who hasn't actually seen your show at least 50 or 100 times who hasn't spent three plus months within your therapy rooms working alongside you at some level because they do not have the knowledge or the experience to be able to create a risk assessment document that is genuinely going to reduce the level of hazard, the risk to yourself and your visitors, your volunteers, your clients, and anybody that says that they can write you a risk assessment for a stage show or a therapy room without having visited you and spent time doing it, that is 100% out of the box ready to go. We can we can give you 101 scenarios. We oh, can so give you suggestions. To call I have written Stuart Harrison Cassells. Yes, to call the man who's sat one side of me on the on this video uh, from the transparency template. Details of which there's a link below this video or podcast. Which. All I'm going to say about it is there is nothing produced by anyone anywhere in the world that comes even remotely close to covering health and safety, duty of care and the laws regarding hypnosis around the world, as well as the ethical and moral issues. And I'm, yes, included in that, I'm going to tell you now, in America, you can go to JustinJamesIsSafeOnStage.com. And in fact... <coughs> To get insurance from certain companies, you've got to have done his online free course to get it. 
an excellent, at least it means that you can get your insurance if you're in America uh, without having to take one of the obligatory other courses that would allow you to that cost a ton of money. However, in terms of what level of health and safety and duty of care training it covers, I've taken it and it doesn't even come close. No offence, Justin and the other people involved, but it doesn't even come close to covering 5% even of what is taught in the transparency template, which is why you'll see at the link below this video or podcast that some of the biggest, most successful names in hypnosis in the world uh, were either taught by me originally or have come to me for consultancy afterwards. And the reason why they recommend my courses, one element is because of the health and safety, duty of care and legal stuff. But to quote Stuart Cassells at that transparency template, you'll hear him say something along the lines of, as someone who's at this event or someone who doesn't work with the download this, it only works when you buy the physical DVD sent to you through the polls. On the bonus disc, there is an example Risk assessment. It's a risk assessment for Stuart's own Harrison the hypnotist show. Yep. And for the vast majority of stage hypnotists, for the vast majority of stage hypnotists, this will practically be ready to go. Yep. But only practically because everybody does some things a little bit differently. But for some people, and I will be an example because of some of the extreme routines that I've used in the past, it won't be a very strong structure but you will need to personalize, individualize and specialize certain elements and add to, or in some cases, take the odd thing away if it's not relevant to your performance. Yes. To use a template straight out of the box. And as you're aware, I have written risk assessment documents for certain stage hypnotists. Mm. Um, I have been contacted. Well, he has seen the shows numerous times. Uh, yes, I've seen the shows. Um, I've either had a stack of DVDs sent to me and I will only watch them if they're DVD quality that I can watch at home on a large screen rather than you know, YouTube video because it's not good enough for me to be able to see where the cables are, etc. Obviously, uh, they're getting paid to watch them. Yes. Time costs money. Um, but it's very few and far between that I will write a risk assessment for another performer uh, because at the end of the day I can advise them where they need to be concentrating the legal obligation for having a correct accurate and up-to-date and this is the other thing it's got to be up to date we'll cover that in a second but the legal obligation is down to the performer and only the performer the person whose name is on that document Every risk assessment should be reviewed. And this is the important, this is almost as important, if not more important. Your risk assessment document, once you've printed it, and I don't care how many people you've got working with you, print it. Laminate it if you really want to, so you can wipe it down at the end of each day and, you know, you know with Dettol, so that it's not, you know, and it's somewhere visual. Careful of the sharp edges. You shouldn't really need to do that because you will be reviewing that document at the end of every day. You'll be making notes and you will be updating that document as you need to do so, as you see fit, because you will have found that something isn't quite right. Something will have occurred to you that we may not have suggested here that you weren't aware of. 
there are probably going to be things that people will contact me about over the course of the next few weeks and they will go i've watched this video you didn't mention so and so and i will hold my hands up and go well seeing as i'm not actually working in therapy rooms at the moment that did not occur to me at the time or he'll tell you what is probably more likely we just haven't got the time to cover everything in we mind. haven't because two and a half hours on what both of us were gonna consider to be an hour, hour and a half of quality information we've we've overshared again um but yeah just go back and look at review the document every day and in normal circumstances i would say that's overkill far too you know if you've got a risk assessment for a you know therapy room or a stage show even there is no need to review the document every day you should review it when necessary under normal circumstances but covid19 coronavirus media hype world pandemic type situation calls for as the british government keeps saying unprecedented yes Every time the your local government or the World Health Organization changes their opinion, their view, they make a new announcement, you must take all of that information. All the scientists release new information. They're talking at the moment about vitamin D, I believe. I don't know. I'm not a medical professional. Finally. But they uh, talk about vitamin D. Uh, you need to look at whether or not that information needs to then be incorporated into your risk assessment so that it is up to date and accurate because should the worst come to the worst and something was to happen to yourself your family your business a client and the the important onus should be put on the health and safety of your client first your business and yourself and your family second because they are the most important thing. Um, If anything was to happen to them and you were to be investigated and you didn't have the correct paperwork or your paperwork was completely out of date because it referred to out of date information that's since been proven wrong. So you had what was best case practice and is now worst case practice such as maybe we'll agree to disagree about a lot of things, but maybe masks, you know, whether masks should or shouldn't be worn. And again, not my place to say, but if you said that in May, when you first created a document that, you know, masks are unnecessary. And then in July, every changed their mind and the scientists went, no, 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 you must wear a mask. And it must be of this grade of material. And you didn't update your risk assessment document to say, I will wear a mask and it will be of. And this is it. You should be including the standards where necessary. And doing so, it. You can't say you're going to do something X- and not do it. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. That's even worse. So if you're buying the mask of a certain quality, yeah. you want a receipt that says what you bought. Proof. Yeah. To tie in with um, it as well. Because if you do end up with a situation happening on stage in the therapy room and something goes wrong and you are investigated by the health and safety executive in the UK or similar elsewhere and 
you had a document that was really good and it had all the details and it said that you were going to wear a filter mask that was going to be able to filter out X micron particles. And then they found evidence that you never bought that mask or wore it. You just put it into your document to keep everybody happy. They are really going to go after you yeah. because you've taken It's not only a case of you can't claim ignorance or incompetence at that point. You have willfully done something that is harmful, hazardous and increased the risk for everybody involved. So will be far worse. Go back review 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 and print it out and keep a physical copy anybody that comes into the business that works there should be reading that document okay email it to them first i'm i don't think it is again my own personal view and this should not be taken as read this is up to every individual, but I don't think it is necessary to send every client a full copy of your risk assessment. But I do think that it is prudent, and again, my own opinion, to send every client before they arrive a list of do's, don'ts and rules that they should abide by. So, so that's therapeutically, the way you've yeah. phrased that, performance wise, those things will be addressed in your contract. And um, I would so suggest at the moment two. you address COVID-19 coronavirus in your contract, especially from points of view like if you get a booking for a country where it's okay to fly to at the moment for a date in the future, have a clause in your contract. Believe me, I already have um, because of the way my contract's worded, which you do get a copy of with the transparency template. It's worded such that when the client books me, the basis upon which they book me is the only basis upon which they can cancel me, okay? Which means that if they cancel me in less than a certain period of time, in which case the deposit still, they lose their deposit anyway, but the balance isn't payable. But that's several months. The closer it gets to the gig, uh, to cancellation, the more of the money they have to pay me. But if they were to turn around and go, we've decided we don't want you, or they were to turn around and go, suddenly we're not allowed to have flights into our country because they've changed the guidance again. So we can't bring you to the country that your contract would have been worded such that they legally agreed in advance to put you on the basis that you still were due the money in full. Now, you may choose if that's a client you want to work with again or don't want to cause a bad taste in the mouth of to say to them that, look, whilst you demand the money there because of cash flow things and they agreed to it, that as long as they provide a new set of flights in the future, which yes, will be at their expense, that you will give them another date in future without any additional fee becoming payable. But that's down to your own business morals, check, ethics and everything. Check the laws in your own country. Yes. Uh, make sure that uh, any clause such as that is legally enforceable and it isn't punitive. Yeah, it has um, to be. It depends what country you're in. It may or may not be. Uh, it may not be legally. And it's got to be worded right. I refer you again to Black's book of the law. Legalese is different than normal language. This is where spending my example contracts in the transparency template, but any alterations you make to it. Uh, or using it anyway, I'd say the only way you can use it as a template is to take legal responsibility yourself, which means, yes, it means spending a bit of money with a lawyer yeah. because it's got to be worded right. Otherwise, it's not worth the paper it's printed on. Yeah. 
So we're getting close to the end. Uh, so yes. I want people to be aware of a few things that below this video or audio podcast that will go live today, the 22nd of June 2020, um, that everything that was said at the beginning of this is also relevant to the interview with Stuart Gavin on the 23rd of June 2020 in terms of check everything out yourself. Refer, do everything at your own risk. Below this, there will be a link to the transparency template. Nothing on the planet comes even close to the level of health and safety, duty of care and legal things relating to hypnosis, stage and therapy as that does. Although if it's purely for therapy, nothing comes close to the uh, health and safety section for hypnotherapists inside the elite hypnosis boot camp. Below this will also be a link to Stuart's websites and social media. I'm going to also put a link now to the previous interview we did on Hypnosis Week where we went into his marketing expertise because he also runs a print and design company, a company that can provide you with up-to-date roller banners, leaflets, posters, website design if need be, graphic design that you can use on the internet where you can draw attention to the fact that you offer COVID-19 compliant and safe shows or therapy. Make it a bonus for people to book you over somebody else rather than being scared or people having questions in the air where they have to ask and then have them addressed and they might be less likely to come and book you. Take the bull by the horns, go and go, bookers, I know you might be scared of booking a hypnotist because people sitting near each other. I put a show together where people are socially distanced. Props are either next to non-existent or out of a single use, sanitised, disposable basis. All the health and safety has been paid attention to. I've got a risk assessment and I've got custom design publicity materials for it to help you sell this to your client. You are a member. You're a member of an authoritative body such as Equity, the Performers Union, yeah. or uh, one of the um, bodies for hypnotherapists uh, who are giving out information. Although, from what I've heard, it is extremely vague what they're putting on the websites. We've put more but, information in the past couple of hours than most all of them um, together have given. Can you, can you drop in a... Uh, link to hsc.gov.uk as well, please. Yes, that you uh, mentioned. So that um, that's probably going to be the best link for anybody around the world. However, take that information, how they explain how to build a risk assessment, and of course apply it to your own local laws. But if we can drop a link in there, I will. Uh, there is a there is actually a box that says COVID nineteen on the homepage. All right. It says COVID-19 risk assessment, what to do. And I think that's probably going to be the best thing. I'm really looking forward to seeing uh, Stuart's interview tomorrow and to see how much he agrees and disagrees. And you know, as I say, everything's subjective today. Yeah. Uh, we haven't on Masks, you can get them custom printed again. Contact yes. Stuart by his website. Um, I, I think for a stage hypnotist, this won't be for a therapist, but if you look at latex, um, face jaws. You can get ones that look funny, uh, like an old man and scary. You can get vent ones that are remote that work. I'm definitely don't book them on volunteers in COVID. What I'm okay. saying is, you could come on with one of them on yourself that looks like a woman. Be pressing it. They obviously know it's moving like an electronic thing. Um, 
but it'd be a gag and then you you know your voice could be saying they told me I had to wear a mask and I chose this one actually no I'm just joking take it off and under that you could have the cloth mask that perhaps got a hypno disc on it with a bit of thought you can make it a feature and a positive benefit rather than a scary oh my god element of things again seeing as we talk about masks uh, be aware that whilst you're wearing a mask, your voice isn't going to be as clear if you're using a microphone. Mm. Um, at no point should you be sharing a microphone with other people. No. You know? So karaoke is now completely out of the question unless you're going to take a windshield off. And take your own it. mic. Even if I, yes. I generally, I've always been of the opinion that I demand the venue supply equipment to me of a certain specification. It's in my contract. You'll see if you get the transparency template. So I can show up with nothing, walk on stage, do my bit, walk off. Maximum money for minimum effort. But I can tell you now that behind me in the cupboard, and I'm not going to stand up because I've only, well, sod it. I've only got boxer shorts on, so I won't stand up. That's the beauty of doing stuff at home. But I bought a radio mic a few weeks ago purely because I know I've got some private client shows coming up. But even for them, in the current circumstance, I'm taking my own mic. I mean, that's just another example of how long we could be sat here going yeah. through a list of what to do, how to do it. You know, this isn't our job to build the risk assessment for most people at home. That is their job because it's their show, it's their performance, including the therapy room. Yeah. Um, quite like that idea of it's a performance. Now it's a time um, more than ever for control. There'll be people who disagree with me. That's great. Do your own. Do you do it your own way? But to avoid even having to do sound checks with a sound technician, for a hypnosis show at least, I, I've always done this, 99% of venues, but now I definitely will be doing my own music with my, well, it, what used to be a remote control uh, mini disc player, because that was the only device I could find where I had numbers on the buttons that I could press number 20 and it would go and play track 20 immediately. But if I decided that show I only had men and no women, I might not do certain routines, so I'd want to jump maybe to routine number, back to routine number seven, press number seven. Whereas a lot of music system entertainers use, you've got to have the next track or you can skip one, but you couldn't, you could stand there and hit it conceivably 20 times to jump to track 27, but it takes a lot of time. It's not fail safe. Have but a look more at recently, it. I found remote control um, MP3 players on eBay that only cost literally less than 20 quid sterling that are about yon big you know what i've got boxer shorts on but i don't care i'm standing up i will be back in 30 seconds i just want to show you um but you're not going to pull it up hang on it won't be that what would help is if i find there it is right this I'm showing this to the camera. That's right. one of many options. It says USB SD digital player. Yeah. On, on the back, it has got a radio, but it's got an audio out socket, which is where it connects to the amplifier. It's got a power on and off, and it's got a main supply lead, which you either use an extension lead to plug in the mains if you need to, for reasons I'll explain in a minute, or you can connect it to a power pack thing that will have enough energy to run for five six yep. hours but you're only going to need it for the duration of your show you can plug a usb stick in the front or you can put in an sd card 
Uh, I've got a USB stick. You switch it on. Uh, it is a radio. Forget that. You don't need that. You can snap that off if you wanted. You get a remote control. Yep. And that's got numbers on it, zero through to nine. You can stop and start the device. You can mute it partway through the track and unmute. You can uh, play, pause, skip back or forward per track. So you could go for three tracks if you wanted them play. Volume control you can butt up or down. So you can have your music set quite high front of house, but then lower it here so that it's at the level you want for your show. But then when if you want for a certain routine or for applause cue for it to go up, you can increase the volume. And you can do all manner of things. Repeat the last track. These little remote controls that come with it, you can buy replacement ones on eBay shipped over from China for literally less than $1.50 each. So I've got like half a dozen. So if I lost it at a venue, I'm not bothered. The device, which I just searched for remote control uh, portable MP3 player, will look like the picture I've shown you. Then you know it's one of these. It will have all the images front and back. Only order from someone with lots of feedback and high positive feedback. It'll take a while to come from China. You might be able to find one that's already in your country, but it will cost more. But to get one of these for like about 15 quid, less than $20, uh, it has got metal casing and whatnot. It's going to cost you about the price I said. The beauty of this is on my USB stick, I've got like 150 songs. Yes, I know my first one's going to be the one it always is, intro. But then I, I, my every show is different because I get fed up otherwise. I know some other people do it uniform, but under these circumstances, you're going to have to be more flexible, COVID-19. You might want to go from track two to track 23. What you're going to do is stand there with your current system, clicking all the way through 21 times, dead time and not 100% reliable. Or, and some of the apps won't allow you that anyway in the remotes, some do, some don't. Or wouldn't it be better that you've got a remote that you can actually just type in, I want track 23 and go two, three, and it plays instantly. You can't do that with a lot of these expensive entertainer systems. This, you can. I am going to have to uh, leave you to it. Well, that's it. We've covered it. We've run over time. Thank you, Stuart. No All worries. the links will be below. Also, there'll be a link to the last interview with Stuart because marketing-wise, printing, which we did touch on before, Stuart's the man to contact. Thank you so much. Watch, yeah, watch this, guys. Make sure you watch uh, Stuart's show tomorrow from the 23rd. Uh, different content, I'm sure. Uh, he'll give you a different point of view. And that's what it's about, just to prove that, you know, you, know, you can get three experts in a room and every one of them will have a different point of view. But that's health and safety for you. Yeah. Um, I'm looking forward to listening to that tomorrow. I am going to have to. Thank you very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you, viewers and listeners. Above all, just be safe. Be intelligent. Be sane. See you later. Cheers. Thank Bye you. Now. Bye.